so good to see so many of you here this morning. I know we've got folks watching online as well, so good morning. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're going to kick off a brand new series here. I'm super excited about this series because I feel like it's going to really um, uh, be very beneficial to all of us as the beginning of this new year. Uh, if, like me, uh, New Year's is a great time to do a little bit of self-reflection, uh, look at some things in our lives and maybe make some adjustments, look ahead to the year ahead. I know some folks like to come up with a word or a phrase that kind of centers them for the year. Some people like to develop new habits. And I hope that as you join us over the next few Sundays through January and into February, this series will help some of you uh, align some of those goals and think through some of those goals. And um, to help you visualize, I'm, a, I'm an analogy guy, I'm a visualizing guy. I've got an illustration here that we're going to go through this morning together, just kind of set the scene for this series. And um, some of you will have seen this before. It uh, first showed up in a book by an author by the name of Stephen Covey, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. And uh, that's kind of what made it famous. Um, and we've actually done this illustration here before at Connect. So you might have even seen it here at Connect. Years ago we did this. But in the book, the author talks about this jar being like our life. And uh, we get to choose what goes in the jar. So we get to choose what's going to fill our jar, what's going to fill our life. And, and uh, he explains that these rocks, they represent um, the important things, the big things in our life. So this might be uh, your family or your spouse. I've got to be I'm so nervous. This is a big rock in a glass jar. But uh, there we go. That fell in there nicely. So that might be your family. If you're a follower of Jesus, it could be your relationship with Christ. You know, these, these are some big rocks that kind of fill our jars, okay? But that's not all, is it, that goes into our life. There are, there are other things. That, that child might look full this morning, but you're going to be surprised to see that there is room for more. Now, these smaller rocks, they're, they're still pretty big, so they may represent um, significant things in our lives, and uh, they get to go in this jar as well. This could be uh, your job. It could be um, your family, all number of things. Uh, so they still fit in there as well. And then um, the reality is, while this jar looks full, there's still room for more. So this could be just the, the day in, day out stuff. This is running to the grocery store. This is paying your bills. This is cutting the grass. And, and, and there's still room in our lives for all these little kind of mundane tasks. And uh, we get to do all those and they're still fit in here, which is awesome. So, so would you say that this jar is now full? What do you think? You can think this jar's full? I'm getting some shakes of heads from the uh, youth section over here. They've obviously read the book or they just know that I'm a... Uh, trying to trick them. No, the truth is that we, we want to do fun stuff in our lives as well. So, so I got the fun sand to represent. This is turquoise sand just to represent the fun we're going to have. This might be uh, if your family are involved in sports or activities. Maybe this is going out for meals, going out with friends, you know, and I'll give it a little shake here so it all sinks down in there. And wouldn't you know it that there's actually room for more. So just when it looks like this jar is full, suddenly there's room for more. And this kind of represents the fullness of our life. Now, here is the dilemma, and this is the point that the author makes so excellently in his book. He says, this is the ideal. And I'll set that back up there in a second, but I want to show you an alternative. So here is another jar with a couple of big rocks representing the uh, priorities in our lives. But many of us, 
we make the mistake, we just get caught up in the busyness of life. So for some of us, you know, there's all sorts of activities. Maybe you're a young family here and your kids are involved in travel sports or sports or whatever it is, and you're just all over the place. You know, your, your week is full of all these different fun activities, and they're great. We love them. They're great activities, but they keep us very busy. And then it just seems like there's always something needs doing. The grass needs cutting, the driveway needs shoveling. If it's snowing, you know, there's, there's all these little practical things that, that fill our time and, and keep us busy. And then, of course, you know, life never gets any slower, does it? So there's always extra things being added to our plate. Maybe our boss wants us to do more at work. Maybe things are happening, and, and these are all very important, and they start to fill. And then we get to the end of the week, and we think, you know what? 2023, I was going to spend more time with my family. I was going to put God at a higher place in my life. I was going to spend more time with God. So, so the week's coming to an end, so I'm going to try and make sure that, that, that I get to do that. And then suddenly we realize we've got a problem. Now, nothing changed between these two jars, did it? They were the same amount of rocks, the same size cups. The only thing that changed was the priority over which we decided to fill these jars. And while this is a cool illustration to look at, if you're honest this morning, some of us are kind of feeling that little pinch right now because we realize that this literally illustrates our life. We have every intention of making things important, but when we try to fit them in, there just doesn't seem to be room. There doesn't seem to be space in our lives. But the reality is there is space. We've just got our priorities out of order, which is why... We are kicking off this brand new series called First Things First. First Things First. What would our life look like if we identified what those large rocks are in our lives and then made a, a decision, made it a priority to say, you know what, before anything else, I'm going to come up with a plan for how I can make this large rock a priority in my life. I want to make sure that that goes in the jar first. If I don't have a plan for that, my week, all week long, I may be thinking, yeah, I'd like to do that, I'd like to do that. But if I haven't got a plan on how that's going to happen, I know what's going to happen. It's going to get to the end of the week, and I'm going to try and squeeze that in, and there's going to be no room. So hopefully, through this series, as we look at this jar together, as we look at these rocks together, we can identify what some of those large rocks might be in our lives, and we can come up with a plan of how we'll put them in. And I thought, what better rock to start with on the very first Sunday of 2023 together than God. We're here in church this morning, and I would like to think that, that many of you are here because you've decided that God, you want God to be a big rock in your life. You want God to be a big rock in your family. Now, there are some here this morning that that hasn't always been the case. You are newer to church in the last few years because someone invited you or you've started coming to connect and, and suddenly this, this rock that never really featured in your life, maybe just Christmas and Easter, now suddenly is a much bigger part of your life. Maybe some of you here this morning, um, you think of God as this large rock, but, but you face that dilemma of thinking, well, I always find like there's never just enough room to fit him in with everything else that comes along. He gets an hour on a Sunday morning, but that's kind of it. So wherever you find yourself this morning, my goal in this message is to help you come to a place of making God this rock. I'd love it. I really think you'll see a difference in your lives if you make that decision to make God this rock. But not just that. I don't just want him to be a big rock in your life when it comes to um, priorities, things of importance. 
I wanna help you discover what it might look like in your life if not only do you choose to make God a big rock, but you also choose to prioritize him over other things in your life. You choose to make sure you've got a plan of how he is gonna go into the jar before anything else. And this isn't a new idea. Some of you might remember last summer we did a series here at Connect and it was um, on something that's called the Beatitudes. It's a strange word, but it was some sayings of Jesus talking about what it looks like to be blessed. And it was a great series, just the, the words of Jesus. But those Beatitudes, they actually featured in a, uh, a portion of Jesus' life that we read about in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Matthew was one of the guys who wrote about the life of Jesus. And it's those, those, those kind of three chapters, they're called the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus gathered one day on a mountainside and, and hundreds, thousands of people came and sat and listened to him. And, and he teaches this incredible thing. If you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's just full of so much wisdom. It's the kind of thing you have to read several times because you'll catch something different every time. And right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, He's talking about um, some things in our life. He's talking about possessions and money. And he challenges his listeners in that message on the dangers of making these things the biggest rocks, making these things the most important. Now, don't get me wrong. He doesn't say they are wrong. He doesn't say it's wrong to have money. He doesn't say it's wrong to have possessions. All he says is he cautions people in putting all of their faith and trust into something that they'll never have enough of and ultimately can let them down. And listen to how he sums up that whole portion of what he's saying. He says in Matthew 6, 33, here's the, here's the solution, here's the answer. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Make God a large rock and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. You're worrying about money and, and possessions, but if you seek God first, if you make him a big rock, if you put God first, he will give you everything you need. A large rock, first things first. So practically this morning, as I was thinking about what I would like to speak on, I was thinking, what are a couple of practical things that I can encourage all of us here with this morning of what it would look like to seek God first? What would it look like in our lives if we made a decision to make God a big rock, a priority, one of the rocks that goes in the jar first? And I want it to be super practical. I want you to be able to leave this morning with some really practical ideas of, of what I could do, just a real simple change in the way I live my life, a real simple adjustment to make that actually could change the way I prioritize God in my life. I think the first thing we can do, and it's very simple, but I think it's life-changing, is to be aware. To be aware. This year, I myself have made it a resolution of mine to, to be more aware of God in every area of my life. Wherever I find myself, or whatever I'm thinking, whatever I'm doing, I want to be looking for God because He's there all the time. He's with me, he's at work in my life, he's around me, he's in every situation I'm in, and sometimes I get so caught up in the business of my life that I forget that he's right there. I wanna be aware of God in every area of my life. You know, back in the 1600s, there was a, a monk, his name was Brother Lawrence. In the middle of his life, he joined a ministry, and for 15 years, he served in the kitchen as a cook. For 25 years after that, he moved on to the sandal repair shop. Those were his responsibilities in the ministry. And yet still while repairing sandals, you could often find him back in the kitchen helping out, even though it wasn't his job. 
Following his death, some letters that he'd written, some journal entries were found, and those, along with some conversations he'd had with another monk at the monastery, were turned into a book that's become famous. It's called Practicing the Presence of God. Practicing the Presence of God. This is what kind of Brother Lawrence became famous for. Because in his book, he explains how he developed this discipline of being aware of God's presence in all he did. Whether he was praying in the chapel or washing dishes in the kitchen, he wanted it to be an act of worship. He said, when I'm in the chapel and when I'm praying, I'm aware of God and I'm worshiping him. He said, but you know, when I'm washing dishes, I'm aware of God there with me. I wash those dishes to the glory of God. He wanted God to be a part of every part of his life. This is a great quote from the book. It says, I cannot imagine how religious persons can live satisfied without the practice of the presence of God. For my part, I keep myself retired with him in the depth of center of my soul as much as I can. And while I'm so with him, I fear nothing. Wouldn't that be great to be in a place where God's presence is so real that he takes away the fear? But the least turning from him is insupportable. Now, the reality is this may be hard at first because we're very busy and we can get very preoccupied. So it's hard. And, and even this week, knowing that I'm going to be speaking about this, I've tried to discipline myself to become more aware of God's presence. And I still find myself going for large periods of time and then suddenly remembering, oh, yes, I need to be aware of where God is in this moment. Because the truth is that sometimes we look at our life like a pie, with multiple slices, okay? Just imagine a pie with multiple slices. It could be a pizza, it could be a cake. Sorry for those who use news resolutions was to eat healthy. I'm not helping you here, talking about all these things, but the illustration doesn't work as well with slices of salad. So uh, just imagine uh, a pizza, <laughs> a pie, okay? It's cut into these nice triangle slices, okay? And what we tend to do with our lives is each slice of the pie represents a slice of our life. So here's our family, Here's our work, here's our free time. And for, for many of us, here's God. God's slice shows up at about nine o'clock on a Sunday morning, maybe even a little bit earlier if we're thinking about him on the way to church when we leave church. And then as Sunday continues on, that slice kind of transitions into family and then tomorrow morning you'll be on the work slice. But when Jesus talks about seeking the kingdom of God above all else, he's not describing a slice of the pie. He's talking about all of the pie. When he says, seek first the kingdom of God, he means when you're in your workplace, you are seeking first the kingdom of God and how God is active in your workplace, in your life. When you're with your family, what does it look like for God to be a part of that? When you're here this morning in church, when you're driving to work, when you, it's that idea of being aware of God because he's there all the time. And sometimes it's just us training our minds, choosing to be aware of his presence. And when you start to become aware of God in all of your life, it actually starts to change the way you look at the world around you. There's a great story. I've actually read it once before here at Connect, but it's definitely worth reading again. It's by an author whose name is Philip Yancey, and he tells this story uh, of a visit he took once to South Africa, and he met a lady there by the name of Alison Quinn, who was in charge of a ministry there in South Africa called Prison Fellowship. I'll read from his book. He says this, In South Africa, I met a woman named Joanna, an ordinary suburban woman. She and her husband had some education here in the U.S., and then they went back to South Africa. They were involved in the anti-apartheid movement, which was very successful. So she started praying. 
And the Lord's Prayer includes the phrase, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So she would pray, Lord, show me a place where that's not true, where your will is not being done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we're supposed to be, as followers of you, part of the solution. Soon, she discovered that the most violent prison in South Africa, Polesmore Prison, was just minutes from her home. That year, the prison recorded 279 acts of violence, almost one a day. It was run by gangs. You'd actually get points by stabbing somebody in another gang. If you stabbed a warden, you got a lot of points. And it was severely overcrowded, as many prisons are. So she thought, well, that's not right. So she started going every day, 365 days in a row. She didn't skip Christmas. She didn't skip Easter, knowing that these prisoners needed stability, something that they could count on. The year after she started going, there were not 279 acts of violence in the prison. There were two the BBC sent a camera crew from London to figure out what on earth had happened. When I finally met with Joanna and her husband, I said, I think what you've done here is amazing, but tell me what happened here. These guys are murderers. They're rapists. They're monsters. You just go in and act like it's a youth group and you change the whole prison. What really happened here? And Yancey in his book, he says, she looked at me kind of shocked that I would ask such a question. And she said this line that I've repeated many places in the world because it struck me so. She said, well, of course, Philip. God was already present in Polesmore Prison. We just had to make him visible. God was already there. We just had to make people aware of it. There's a lovely verse in Genesis 28, 16. It says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Oftentimes, God is in places and, and we're not aware of it. And for some of us as followers of Jesus, it's helping people become aware of it. In fact, it may even change the way you think of people whose lives are far from Jesus. Because there are some people, aren't there, in your life or in your community, you think, oh man, they are so far from God. The way they behave, the things they believe, the way they carry themselves, the things they say, they are so far from God. If only they would come over here, maybe come to church with me, they'd find God. But this lady points out, no, God's already there. He's with them. They just don't realize it yet. They don't recognize him yet. And maybe our responsibility is to help them become aware of those promptings they may have in those lives, those questions they have, whatever it may be going on in their life, there's God at work seeking after the lost, seeking after those who don't yet know him. And we can be a part of helping them become aware. So one of the things I think that will help us, and it's such a simple thing, but it's not easy because it takes discipline. It takes constant remembering that God, this week, I want you to be like a big rock in my life. I want, you to, I want to be more aware of your presence in my life every day. I want to go through my day constantly thinking about, God, what, what are you teaching me in this moment? What, what's going on right now? God, how can I um, proceed forward? I, I want to be aware of you in every situation, the good and the bad. 
And then another way, and this is maybe a little bit more practical, another way to help make God not just a large rock in our lives, but one of the first rocks that goes into the jar is to be present. Is to make that decision at the beginning of 2023, I'm gonna be present more. There are two ways we can do this. We can do this publicly and we can do it personally. We can be present with God publicly and we can be present with God personally. This morning, we are gathered together in this place publicly. This is a great way this morning to be present with God. We've come here to grow in our faith, to learn more about Him. It's a great time of the year. Gyms and churches are packed right now. Because a lot of people have decided, I need to be a little different. I'm going to make some changes in my life. But let's not let this New Year's resolution fade. Gathering publicly is a really important part of our faith journey. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had our Christmas Eve service. It was wonderful. We had three different services, and it was just great to see so many folks from the community come and and celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's amazing because if you read in the New Testament, there are four books that give us the account of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you were to read all four of those letters that those guys wrote, you'd see the majority of what they wrote, the majority of what we know was about Jesus' adult life. Even the Christmas story that we celebrated a couple of weeks ago on Christmas Eve really only takes up a very small part at the beginning of these books. And outside the birth of Jesus... We don't know a lot about his life until his ministry began at around about the age of 30 years old. But thanks to Luke, Luke's one of the guys who wrote an account of the life of Jesus, there is actually a small portion of Jesus' life that we are aware of, just a small event that took place when Jesus was 12 years old. We'd never know about it if it weren't for Luke writing down this. Luke felt like it was important that this be written down when remembering the account of the life of Jesus. And it's quite an interesting story about the life of of pre-teenage Jesus. We read about it in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 44. And listen to what Luke tells us. He says, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. Now, I know this sounds like a bad parenting moment, but there was a lot of people would travel together. This is a, uh, people did life differently back then. They, they, there was much more of a community feel. People went places as a community and, and the kids would all be together and the adults would be together. And so, so the assumption was, as they were moving back home, that Jesus was just with some of the other kids, with some of the other parents. But then they realize he's not. So verse 45, when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him. Three days later, some parents are like, can you imagine losing your kid for three days? They finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Three days. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. And the first recorded words of Jesus are, but why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? The very first thing we hear that Jesus says, I must be in my father's house. I was at church. Why didn't you look for me at church? 
Didn't you know that's where I wanna be? That's a, that's a big rock in my life. My relationship with God the Father is so big that I chose to spend time in the temple. This was a priority for Jesus even at an early age. And then later on in his life, as we read through the accounts of his life, we hear again and again that this remains a priority. Luke 4, 16, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, talking about Jesus. As usual, this was a common practice of Jesus to go to the Sabbath. He was the son of God. He was God in the flesh. And yet still, he knew it was a priority to attend church, to go to church, to go to the temple. If you want to make God a bigger priority in your life this year, follow the example of Jesus and make church a priority. This is a great place to come. It's a great place to come to learn. Sometimes I think we, we go through situations in our life and, and things become challenging, so we come to church because we're, we're struggling, but it's almost a bit like a bank account. You know, when you come each week, it's like making deposits. So that when we hit those times of struggle, we're already ready because we've made those investments. We've made that time, that commitment to grow in our faith, to learn, to be around one another. So publicly, it's a great way to be present with God. But you know, we can also do it personally. As well as publicly gathering to worship with others, we can spend time with God personally. We can read the Bible, we can listen to worship music, we can journal, we can pray. And I know that for some, this is quite challenging. Because maybe you've never done that before, you just don't know where to start. It's really difficult to know how to read the Bible. Where do I start? How do I pray? I've never prayed before. I once read it's good to sit quietly for 15 minutes every day to gather your thoughts, unless you're too busy, in which case you should sit for an hour. <laughs> it's a great thought. You know, some of you heard of the Bible app, and it's a great app for your phone or iPad, and um, not only is it a way to read the Bible, but it's full of reading plans that can help you systematically read through the Bible. There are other journals, other great uh, resources to help you read through the Bible, uh, to be able to tell you a passage to read and then kind of unpack the meaning of that passage a little bit. It takes a bit of discipline, but if you're willing to be present both publicly and personally, you'll see this rock grow in size and you'll see it become a priority. At Christmas, um, just the idea of prayer and, and how challenging that can be. At Christmas, uh, Emma, my daughter, she got a, uh, a Christmas gift from her grandma. It was a book. Um, it was very big in England and I think it's been pretty big over here. The book's called The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse. And uh, it's not marketed as a Christian book, but it's a lovely book. And I would recommend it for any parents of um, kids or, or, or middle schoolers, teenagers. It's just a fantastic book. And as you read it, even though it isn't a Christian book, you can just see the, the truth of God coming through in a lot of the, the pages of this book. It's a very short book. You can read it in about 20, 25 minutes. And it's just this lovely story about these four characters and how they interact with one another. And as I'm reading it, I felt like there was such a lot of biblical, godly truth in this book that I wasn't surprised that I came across a video uh, from the author, and he was speaking at a church in London. And it became clear that the author of this book was himself a follower of Jesus. And um, he was telling a story that I wanted to share this morning because it was such a great story, illustrating how sometimes we make prayer a lot harder than it actually is. 
The prayer is just communion, just, just conversations with Jesus who loves us so much. And he is dying to have those conversations with us. So I'm going to show you this video clip, but right before I show you it, I have to tell you two things uh, from a British perspective. Number one, vicar is a pastor. Okay, so a vicar is a pastor, so when you hear that. Uh, number two, uh, to raise two fingers to someone in England is uh, comparable to raising one finger to someone here in America. You'll understand why I explain that in a second. Check out this video. And the last story I'll tell you is about a friend of mine who is a prison, not a prison, he's a, a hospital chaplain. And he goes around, you know, chatting to people who are, who are in hospital beds. And there was one guy who was in for a long time. And he said, every time he walked past the bed, the guy would be in bed. And he'd just do that, that, at the, the vicar as he went past. Every time. Wee. Wee. Oh, there he is. All the time. So he'd go in there. And he got used to it. He just got used to that. So every time he, he usually didn't, but he'd just smile and expect that. And then one particular day, he walked past. And there was no that. He was just lying there. And as he was walking past, he said, Oi. And my friend looked at him and said, Yes. And he said, Can I have a word? He said, Sure. He said, All right, I'm not being rude and everything, but you know, um, I would just love to chat to you about what, you know, why you wear that white thing, what you believe. He said, Sure. You know, what, what, what would you like to know? He said, Well, come on then, tell me. So he told him. He told him about Jesus. He told him about grace, about forgiveness, about the love of God, about the relationship you can have with him, all the basic things. And that you can pray to him. And he said, well, how do you pray then? He said, well, it's pretty simple, actually. He said, well, how do you pray then? And he said, well, and he got off his chair and said, okay, that's your bed. There you are. There's a chair. Now, you just imagine that Jesus is sitting in this chair and he's, he's just loving you permanently. He knows you. And you can talk to him. So you can just say what you like. He said, so what would you say? And he said, I'd probably say that I'm pretty scared. Well, you can tell him that. Very fragile man. And he said, well, what else would you say? That I've effed up my life and I'm sorry. Great. That's honest. What else would you say? To know. Well, you can be in silence. But just remember he's there. Just keep talking. Keep talking. You can listen if you like, but just keep talking. Remember that you're loved. Remember that he died for you. Remember that you're free. Basic stuff. So he said, thanks. I can see why you're a vicar. Sounds good. And then he, my friend got up and left. He was there a few days later, walked past the bed, empty. Spoke to the nurses, where is he? have you moved him to another ward? No, I'm afraid. The nurse, staff nurse said, no, I'm afraid he died actually two days after you were last here. And he went, oh, okay. And um, he said, that's a shame. And she said, yeah, but you know, when you left the last time, he was all really, he was kind of bouncy in bed and kept telling us what you told him about the chair and this Jesus thing. And uh, he said, oh, that's good. And she said, he said, yeah, he was like really overwhelmingly pleased about it all. Um, and he said, good. And, and then he got a bit sort of, you know, so he started walking off. And the, the staff nurse said, oh, by the way, one other thing before um, you go, you, you should probably know, and it's a bit strange to tell you this, but I tell you anyway, that when we found him in the morning after he died, he was found leaning out of his bed. His hips were on the bed. And his chest was on the... He pulled the chair towards... His chest was on the chair and his arms were wrapped around the back of the chair. And he died like that. And of course, my friend just started weeping. Because um, he, he realized that this guy, he, he'd understood the whole thing. He got it completely in a nutshell. The thing we struggle with all our lives, he'd understood that he was loved. 
the reason why he exists was because it was to love and be loved and that he could rest his whole weight and his fragility on this Jesus because you can put your burden on him and he will sustain you because he loves you. And he loves you this morning as well. And he sat on a chair in your life just wanting to speak to you, just wanted to be a part of your life, to hear everything, to hear your fears, your struggle, your frustrations, your anger over things that may have happened in your life. He wants to sit and listen and be a part of your life. And sometimes I think we overcomplicate prayer, but it's just being aware and being present and saying, God, I don't want to shove you in at the end of my week. I want to make you a priority in my life because I know that you're sat there and you love me. And do you remember what Jesus said? He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. This might sound like a stupid question to close out this morning, but how many of you this morning would like everything you need? <laughs> I think that would be a pretty good promise to stand upon. And certainly one worth making God a big rock in my life for. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. And New Year's are a great time to reflect and to look at our lives. And it's, it's no different. Today's Sunday. Last week was a Sunday and the week before that was a Sunday, Lord. But there's just something about being the beginning of a new year where we, we make some new resolutions, Lord. And, and for many of us, Lord, you, you aren't the big rock in our lives that you could be. And we've strived to do things on our own, Lord. And, and, and some of us, Lord, are doing just fine. But the reality is, Lord, when we'll seek you first, everything else comes into place. You look after us, God. So I pray this week, Lord, that just, just a simple change in our habits, to be aware of you in our lives, to, to make a decision to um, be present with you, whether it's publicly over the rest of this year on a Sunday morning or privately, Lord, as you're sat on the chair next to our bed, that we would choose to seek you first over all things. Put that rock in our jar first. In Jesus' name, amen.